Potiphar's wife ended up in prison, and actually, uh, the Lord was with Joseph in prison, and he rose to a position of oversight over the other prisoners. He's still in jail, but he's got a, a responsibility uh, in the jail, kind of similar to what happened to him in Potiphar's house, because there he was also you know, in charge of the household, even though he was a slave. So in both cases, you can see that God was with him, and that was a blessing to him in rising to a position of power or, or responsibility or whatever, in spite of him being first a slave and then a uh, convict. Um, and that brings us to chapter 40, what happens to Joseph while he's in prison. Really, I'm inclined to just have us go ahead and read the whole chapter. Uh, this is not a particularly difficult chapter, I don't think, to understand. And uh, we already know it pretty well, so why didn't somebody read chapter 40? And it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup in, into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift, you, lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do, not, or please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into, into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. In the top basket there were all, some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket of my head, on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So you've got a couple of uh, Pharaoh's um, servants, the cupbearer and the baker, that have done something, and the Pharaoh's not happy with them, and so what does he do with them? He throws them in the dungeon. Throws them in the dungeon where? 
Joseph happens to Job, be. Joseph is. Joseph's kind of in charge there. So they come to know Joseph. Um, and he's, uh, you know, kind of responsible for them. And one night they both have dreams that really disturb them. Joseph comes in and sees them pretty upset. You know, wants to know why they're so sad, and they explain. And what does Joseph offer? His interpretation of them. So what makes Joseph able to interpret dreams? He has God. Yes, he makes that very clear even in verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. So, Joseph is given by God interpretations. Now, there's not a lot of people in the Old Testament that interpreted dreams. Who's somebody else you can remember that does that besides Joseph? Daniel. And there's a lot of parallels. Both of them were t uh, away from their homeland. Both of them rose to high position in government, etc. So, Joseph's <laughs> able to interpret their dreams. And so the cupbearer tells him about his dream. What did he see? Vine, three branches of grapes. And the grapes... Squeezed the grapes it, in the cup and gave it to Pharaoh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sees this whole process, you know, from the, uh, the grape vines themselves through the, the giving of the grape juice uh, to Pharaoh. Uh, it's probably not important, but there's a lot of triplets in 9 through 11, if you look, a lot of threesomes of various things. Um, and Joseph said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, the three branches represent three days, and what's going to happen? You're going to get restored to your previous position. Yeah. In three days, you're going to go back to serving Pharaoh as his cupbearer, and Joseph adds another uh, little thing in here besides the interpretation itself. What does he say? Remember me when you get restored. Yeah, listen, I sure would appreciate a good word for, to Pharaoh about me because really, you know, I don't belong in here. <laughs> I didn't really do it. And so if you could kind of, you know, put a good word in for me, I sure would appreciate it. And uh, you can kind of understand why he'd uh, do that. Well, I mean, that sort of uh, makes the baker, you know, anxious to have his dream, you know, interpreted by uh, Joseph as well. And, well, what was his dream about? He was in three baskets on yeah. his head, and the top one had a whole bunch of bread. And, it, and then the bird ate it. Yeah! Birds eating bread from the basket on top of his head. And uh, actually three, uh, three baskets. And the three baskets mean... Three days. Three days. And then what would happen? You're gonna die. Now, did you... You notice some parallels between these two dreams. The three days. Mm -hmm. Did you notice another interesting parallel? They lift their head? Yes. Pharaoh's going to lift your head. In one case, with body attached. In the other case, <laughs> off the body. <laughs> Rather different uh, results uh, for doing those two things. Uh, but both of their heads were lifted one way or the other. And sure enough, it happens just exactly like Joseph said. 
Only what happened with the cupbearer that was rather unfortunate. He forgot. He forgot. Now that's the overall idea of this uh, chapter. Uh, I want to, you know, focus back in on a couple of things, uh, and then you may have some comments and questions <laughs> as well. One of the things that I think is interesting to think about in this chapter is looking at the character of Joseph. What are some things that are that are good, the good qualities that you see in Joseph in this chapter? He noticed, um, like, their demeanor and everything and asked about them. What does that tell you about him? He, I don't know, wasn't too focused on himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of us would never, ever notice when somebody else was sad because we're too focused on ourselves to do that. But you see him, you know, concerned about the well-being of those that he was over. What else? He says, do not interpretations belong to God. So he's focused on God and telling them that. Yes. He gives the glory and credit to God. That's a very good thing. What else? Other things you can see in Joseph. He's not just waiting for God to come and bust him out of jail. You know, he sees opportunities that, well, maybe God will help me through this. And, and so he has his eyes open for the things that he's praying for. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, he asked the baker, or the, the cupbearer, rather, to remember him. Does he ask the baker to remember him, by the way? Why would he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I believe Joseph really believes in his interpretations and uh, you know, really irrelevant whether the baker remembers or not. Uh, not going to help him a whole lot. What else do you see good in Joseph? I think going along with what's been said about him noticing that they were sad, that just you, just because he noticed them sad was a part of it, but him acting upon that. Yes. He serves them. You know, he is not <laughs> focused in just on himself. I mean, he could say... Well, tough, you had a dream. But he knows that God will give him the interpretation. He, he's willing to help them by doing that. I mean, I think when you're in Joseph's situation, the easiest thing in the world would be to feel sorry for yourself and not do anything to help anybody. And how do we feel when we feel sorry for ourselves and we don't think about anybody else? Miserable. Miserable. Best thing you can do is to think about other people and not about yourself. Um... Think about something else that's impressive to me about Joseph here. What do you see in Joseph in what he said to the baker? Well, he didn't try to sugarcoat it. That's exactly right. He's very frank about it. I mean, the fact is, there's no real way to tell him this that would be very pleasant. So he just tells him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He says the truth to him. I mean, some of us might have just lied about it just to make him feel better temporarily. But Joseph's very faithful in that. All right, I'm going to pause here. There's a few more things we're going to look at in this chapter, but that kind of gets uh, a lot of things out there. Uh, what are thoughts and comments you have on this chapter? It's kind of a, it's kind of like sad and depressing for the uh, baker. It's like. You know, he's getting all excited for, because he's, you know, he told the butler good news, and he's, he's like, okay, well, what's mine? And he's like, well, you're going to die. Aww. And he'd be like, well, his isn't accurate, you know. That'd be, it would be really hard for him to, like, actually, like, swallow that. And it would be really hard. And I don't know, it struck, struck me as, like, really, like, sad for him. 
Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I'll buy that. It would be and even worse because he had his hopes up. I know a lot of people who still, or who, who believe that God is trying to show people things like in dreams and things like that, and try to they think that God's trying to communicate with them somehow through dreams. I didn't know how would you deal with that or how. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, God speaks to us today through His Son. You know, Hebrews one. In the past, He spoke in various ways and various manners but now he speaks to us in the sun. So I would say that the first thing is we don't have this diversity of manners that God reveals himself today. We have a singular manner, and that's through Jesus. Even, even you know, besides that, it is rare in the Bible to get dreams interpreted. That's not the normal way that God communicated with men. And uh, Jeremiah 23, even though this is still in the Old Testament, um, Jeremiah 23 and verse, uh, well, start in uh, 25. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord. In this case, he seems to be pretty much relegating the uh, dreams to the straw. <laughs> And uh, quite different from somebody who actually has a revelation from God. So certainly in the Bible, there is emphasis also on dreams not being a good means of communication. And that normally God's word is totally different from the dreams people say they have. Somebody else want to come in on Clint's question? And when God does communicate through dreams, it's usually not... I guess one of the most important things he's ever said. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, so. obviously everything's important, but you know, it's something that's you know really foundational and uh, really pivotal. You know, he he seems to say that more plainly. But you know, this thing with like the you know the people being restored to their position or put to death in three days. Um, you know, I guess you know that was just to show that God was with Joseph. It wasn't uh, you know saying something about how they ought to live their lives from now on. You know. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts on this chapter? <clears throat> I think it's cool how Joseph, uh, yeah, Joseph, he tells the cupbearer to put in a good word for him and to remember him. And earlier in the chapter, Joseph had to remember God. He had put a good word in for God. He said, Is, isn't it God's place to interpret dreams? And he's not expecting of others something that he won't do for God. He's not expecting something that he would himself do. I think that's cool. That's good. Can we do we conclude then that Joseph knew the interpretation of his own dream? He never he never told them the interpretation. 
Well, I took it that even the brothers knew the interpretation of his dream, that perhaps it was easier to grasp. Maybe in a generic way, that they were all going to bow down to him, but not that he was going to be Pharaoh's. And I don't know that he understands that even. But I mean, even... even um, Jacob in 37.10 says, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? So it seems like, for whatever reason, they all understood what that one meant. What do you think about the cupbearer forgetting him? sure mean is the right term though. Something makes me think that he was like so happy and so excited that you know when we're like really happy and excited that something someone says to us is the last thing in our mind. Isn't that true? Do you ever get so overjoyed with some blessing you forget who gave it to you like the Lord? You know do you remember those uh, lepers in Luke 17, where Jesus healed 10 lepers, and on their way leaving him, they were healed. And how many of the 10 turned back to thank Jesus? Grand total of one, <laughs> that Samaritan leper. It's so easy for us to forget the person who's our benefactor once we receive the blessing. You know, if somebody injures us, <laughs> we never forget it. If somebody gives us a blessing, we forget it just like that a lot of times. Um, so we really got to concentrate on remembering the Lord and remembering other people who blessed us when we were in times of need. I think it really does look bad. It is bad in the character of the cupbearer that he forgot. Turns out to be a really good thing. God uses his forgetfulness in a very helpful way later because he brings it to his mind at the appropriate moment. But... You know, in terms of the character of this cupbearer, this was not so cool. What do you think if you're Joseph by the time you come to the end of this chapter? I'm never getting out of here. <laughs> that word didn't help. <laughs> and, and can you imagine how that would be for Joseph? You know, I think... I think the thing that I continue to think about in the Joseph, you know, uh, chapters is it's so hard for us to feel what Joseph felt because we know what's coming. But I'm thinking, okay, he, he says this to the cupbearer, and the cupbearer gets up and it's restored. And, you know, first day, Joseph's like, well, maybe he won't say anything the first day. Second day, nothing happens. Third day, nothing happens. Fourth day. You know, first week, second week. You know, that gradual, what, what's happening? You know, why, why hasn't Pharaoh done anything yet? You know, and he doesn't know, but just day by day, week by week, month by month, you know, the hope just kind of wanes. I think that makes it even more difficult. If he'd have just known, he's not going to tell. He's not going to remember. That would have been easier than having this hope that just gradually wears away as month after month. You know, nothing's said. So, how do you maintain your faith in God as a Joseph? Don't 
Gary. I was just thinking, uh, you know, back to a Proverbs study, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Absolutely. Proverbs thirteen twelve, And, I mean, it would be so easy for him to be bitter Man. about this. You know, like, I can't believe that, you know, all, there's, like, all these opportunities, and every single one of them is falling through. And it's like, you know, will God provide, I guess, is the question. And so he's just got to trust that God will provide. But there's so much injustice mm-hmm. in everything that he's going through. You know, his brothers abused him. Potiphar's wife lied about him, and now the cupbearer forgets him. Tell you what, of all the rotten luck, you know, I, I just think that would be very difficult to, you know, endure. I, I'm pr- impressed by his patience, by his, his being willing to continue to trust the Lord in spite of all of this, all these setbacks. Other comments and thoughts on any of this in chapter 40? All right. Well, how about chapter 41, verses 1 to 8? Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there is no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, you ever had dreams like this one? Or these two? Kind of weird. What does is, what is Pharaoh dream about two years later? Fat and ugly cows. And yeah. Like, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Different so cows. Automatically <laughs> assume the fat cows are ugly. No, the fat, slim cows and the ugly, skinny ones. Right? Yeah. The ugly ones are the skinny ones. Right. If you got a cow, you want it to be fat. You know, who wants a cow with no meat on his bones? So what happens with these seven skinny cows and seven fat cows? One of them, the, the skinny ones are cannibals. They eat the fat cows and... They're so skinny. They stay skinny. Doesn't help. And then you've got what else? The grain. Yeah. Seven skinny ears of corn or grain, seven full ears, and the seven skinny ones eat up the seven full ones and don't grow any either. If you had a dream like that, I can see why you'd be rather troubled by it and you'd want to know what in the world did it mean. And, and so he calls in his magicians and wise men, but they don't know what it means. Probably nobody's ever had a dream quite like that, and it probably wasn't in their dream book. You know, so what do they do? I comments and questions through verse 8. Another parallel to Daniel. The wise men and everybody couldn't 
interpretation. <laughs> Which really shows you how the Lord knows more than what the wise men do. Yeah. Wise men not so wise. Yeah, only the Lord is truly wise. The only wise God. I, I think uh, how Pharaoh turns to like the wise men and the magicians. It just made me think that when something disturbs us or we're concerned about something, normally the first person we'll go to is our best friend or someone we can trust. Um, or someone we may not even trust, but that's someone that will tell us what we want to hear. Um, but I definitely, it makes me think that when we are troubled by something, the first person we need to go to is God. Certainly. Other thoughts? Well, 9 to 13. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related to them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me and my office, but he hanged him. Well, this circumstance with Pharaoh not finding any wise man to interpret his dream does what? Makes angry. Makes him angry, but what else does it do? Reminds. Triggers the memory of the cupbearer. You know, he and, and he comes to <laughs> Pharaoh and said, well, you know... Let me remind you of what I did wrong. I'm probably on the best idea, but but he wants Pharaoh to be able to 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 find to get Joseph to interpret him, and so he explains how Joseph had correctly interpreted the dream that he had and the dream that the baker had, and and so he suggests to Pharaoh that this this guy, I mean, that he was right about those two, you know, maybe it'd be good to get him. You know, do you see how it worked out actually in Joseph's favor that the cupbearer had forgotten him? He remembers him now at the perfect time to get him in on the ground floor with Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh has motivation to actually go get him. Like well, yeah. Before, it would just be like, well, why would I bother? <laughs> right. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that he had correctly interpreted the cupbearer and the baker's dreams is a good sign that he can really do it. All right, comments and questions about that. After two years, you might start thinking, well, that wasn't the option God had for me. But it ends up being the option he had. You said earlier that, or someone said earlier, that he wasn't just waiting for God to bust him out of there. And he was throwing, it took the opportunity. And after a while, it seems like it didn't work. Yeah. It ends up working for him. And that shows how God works through things that happen in our lives to produce patience and different things like that. Absolutely. If the Lord answered everything and did everything just the moment we wanted it, we'd never learn any patience, would we? Other thoughts? You'd almost think that Joseph wouldn't have to learn patience. <laughs> Apparently God thought that he did. He certainly had plenty of opportunity, I'll say that. <laughs> Anything else? All right, well, let's get this uh, big middle part. Would somebody read 14 to 36? 
Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in, in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows came up, came up, uh, ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them up, there was, um, when they had eaten them, for they were, sorry, I lost my spot. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as from the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered and thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good years are seven good years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow it, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming up, and store, store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. So, Pharaoh is willing to try it. Has Joseph brought out of prison and gussied up a bit? And uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, You know, I had this dream, and I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And what does Joseph say? I can't, but the Lord can. Exactly. He, uh, he is unwilling to accept the credit for himself. He gives it to the Lord where it belongs. But he says, God will interpret this dream for you. And so Pharaoh tells him about the dream from 17 to 24. And then Joseph explains. He, he tells the dreams very much like we know them. But Joseph explains that these two dreams represent one thing. And... You know, what, what's, the, what's the meaning of the dreams here? Seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine, that people won't even remember the seven years of plenty because it's such a bad famine. Pretty sad news. It's nice to have seven years of plenty, but seven years of severe famine is really pretty shocking, pretty severe. I'm impressed by the fact that Joseph you know, levels uh, with him, boldly gives him this unpleasant news. And, and not only that, he says the fact that you got this vision, basically the same dream twice, means God has determined it. 
And what advice does he give to Pharaoh? I mean, really, he goes beyond the interpretation of the dream to just give him some practical suggestions as to what to do. What does he say? Yeah, it makes sense to stockpile food during the seven years of abundance and to then distribute it uh, in the seven years of famine. And you probably ought to get somebody to be in charge to institute a nationwide rationing system so that we'll have enough food for the years of famine. Really good advice, given what we know is going to happen according to Pharaoh's dreams that God gave him. Comments and questions? I think it's cool how he goes the extra mile and doesn't just interpret it where he could stop there. That's what he was asked to do. But he also shows how to help out the kingdom that he was just imprisoned by. Yeah, good point. Yes, he, he's... He doesn't just tell the dream, but he says, here's, here's something I would suggest in handling this, which turned out to be an excellent suggestion for him. Other thoughts on this? Well, this has been the suggestion. What's the favor we're going to do about it? 37 to 45. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, <coughs> Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph zaphnath Paneah. And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. So, what does Pharaoh think? Pretty excited. <laughs> he likes the advice. We need a wise, discerning man to put in charge of this. Who could they find? Joseph. Who better than Joseph? I mean, when he suggested that Pharaoh find a discerning and wise man, he pretty well set forth, set, you know, is talking about his own resume. You know, who could be wiser and more discerning than Joseph, who's been able by God to interpret this dream and to give this kind of advice? We'll get Joseph to do this. And so he puts Joseph into this position of really being like vice Pharaoh in charge of the, in charge of the, you know, collection of, of, you know, food items. I mean, he's got tremendous authority. You know, everybody in Egypt bows the knee to him. He said, you know, I mean, Pharaoh's above him, but that's pretty much it. He's, he's like vice Pharaoh. Who would have ever thought that would have happened in this case? I mean, this is such a, an unusual turn of events 
for this to turn out to be something where Joseph goes from prison to vice pharaohship in one day. What does that tell you? Absolutely. This was the Lord involved with this. There was nothing uh, natural, you know, about this. And really, have you seen how many people Joseph finds favor with? Who all really liked Joseph in this story? In in, In the story of Joseph? Everyone. Like? Except his brothers. <laughs> yeah, his brothers wasn't weren't in that category. The cupbearer. The yeah, the cupbearer. That's true. <clears throat> Potiphar. Potiphar. Who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. The jailer. The jailer. His own father. Potiphar's wife at first. Yeah, that's true. Mrs. Potiphar liked him for a while. Um, he's been over the Potiphar's house. He's been over the jail house. Now he's going to be over Pharaoh's house. So you can see kind of some themes and patterns that take place. You know, would you have dreamed of this happening as you were reading the story of Joseph for the first time? Would you have seen this one coming? No. This is an example to me of what Jesus said in Luke 16, if you're faithful over a little thing, God will make you ruler over many things. You know, Joseph had been faithful in those tests and temptations that he had faced, and now he suddenly has vice pharaohship in Egypt. What if Joseph had given in to Miss Potiphar? Wow, what a different story this would have been. What a tragic story this might have been. Comments and questions? Did, do you think that Joseph has in mind that he was going to become the person he was suggesting to rule? I'm not so sure. Uh, maybe, but I, you know, if I were Joseph, I, it would never cross my mind that he would choose this ex-con, me. So I don't know. It seems odd to what is, what is Pharaoh facing his decision on? Obviously, God had a hand in this because he has no, no other than the cupbearer, he has nothing to base this on. You're exactly right. To know that this interpretation is even right. Yeah, you're right. Seven years later, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> they got lots of extra food around. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. He's only 30 years old. Surely you'd go for someone with a little bit more experience than Joseph. But the others hadn't been able to give an interpretation. And the interpretation makes sense. That may have, those things may have helped a little bit. But yeah, I agree. This is a shocking thing that he'd bring a 30-year-old foreigner out of prison and put him as vice pharaoh in one day. Shows you what the Lord can do, and he can do it so quickly. You know, the Lord can do things we're not expecting at all. What did Joseph expect this when he got up that morning? Wow, what a you know, he's had Joseph has a few key days that change his life. <laughs> this is one of them. This is the day he was brought out of the pit, as opposed to yeah, exactly. Years ago when he was thrown into the pit, yep, exactly. They use several words for that jail, dungeon, house. I don't know what all it is. 
described as. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about that other than it sounds like a bad place to be. And it appears that there's a separate jail just for the prisoners of the important people. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you want them to put them in a common jail. Yeah. <laughs> And I wonder, is this uh, his wife, the daughter of Potiphar? Was that related to Potiphar? I'm guessing not, but I don't know. <laughs> and wonder what happened to Potiphar by this time. Uh, who knows? Interesting. Yeah. Question. And we were never told anything more about him, so I have no idea. Well, other thoughts through uh, 40, uh, 45. All right, 46 to 57. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful, now in the seven plentiful years that the ground brought forth abundant, brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the field which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my and all my father's house. And the name of the second was called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So in all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of, e in, in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph and Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Okay. So um, they do have these seven years of plenty. And what do they do? Store up. Store up what? Grain. How much? A lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. The harvest that was stored was so enormous that even documenting it was unfeasible. There was so much grain being stored up. The seven years of plenty were years of plenty for real. And, you know, Joseph, before the famine comes, has two sons uh, through this Asenath. Uh, one of them is uh, Manasseh and the other one Ephraim. Do you remember Manasseh and Ephraim later on in the story of the Bible? What do you remember about them? Usually, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which one was older? Which one was dominant? Yeah. 
Now there, we, how many times did that happen in the book of uh, Genesis? That the older was the one who didn't carry on the, uh, you know, family name and so forth. Um, so uh, he has these two uh, two sons, and you know the second one, Ephraim, means double fruit. Uh, you know he'd made him fruitful. Lots of good things going on, and then suddenly the famine after seven years. So what do they do? Selling, selling grain. If, if Pharaoh has Joseph be in charge of the of this as well, and they sell the grain, and people from a lot of places came to Egypt. You know, this famine was not just in Egypt. You know, which probably would have meant that you really needed to do this. If the famine had just been in Egypt, maybe if they'd have paid enough money, they could have bought crops from elsewhere. Well, really, there's no place to buy crops, and so people are coming to Egypt to buy the food from them. Because there's no food anywhere around there. Comments and questions? He was gathering a fifth, is that true? Uh-huh. I think it was. And it appears that they weren't buying it. <laughs> I always thought this was quite a, quite a uh, revolting development at the end of the seven years of planting. They were taxing the people one-fifth of the grain, <laughs> paying nothing for it, and then selling it back to them. Yeah. And ended up owning all the land of Egypt because of it. Yes. It's a pretty good arrangement for the uh, king, yep. for Pharaoh. That's who Joseph's working for. And if there's enough for each, like one-fifth of each year's produce to, you know, meet all the needs for one year later on, plus all the needs of, you know, other people from other nations, must have been a lot. <laughs> yeah, in those other forfeits. You're exactly right. I mean, wow. Now, I don't know if in the famine, I always kind of assume maybe there were some crops, there's not much or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, even at that, seven years of famine is a long time to have enough food stored up for. Is, like, what exactly is a famine? Is it just like <coughs> drought and heat? You, usually it's drought caused, but the famine really means a lack of food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it says they made storehouses in all the cities. So there was many, apparently a lot of places they were storing it. And, you know, the ar archaeologists have found different things in, in Egypt that could be from this time period, the big underground storage barns or whatever. <laughs> They had all kinds of neat systems of tunnels where they could the grain would funnel down and they could it would come out through a tunnel in the side where they could take it out and then walk up the stairs and carry it out. And so quite interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Other comments, other thoughts. But the rat population was <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but maybe so. I don't know, would the famine get to the rats by that time? <laughs> the rats would get to the famine. <laughs> yeah, I think they couldn't uh, protect the grain, I guess. So. All right. Well, um, chapter 42. Uh, I don't have my uh, verses written down on here. Uh, how about... Uh, 
1 to 17, chapter 42.